Jim Hightower saying people are rethinking where their story is going and how they can take it in a better direction. Yes, nearly everyone will eventually return to work, but workers themselves have begun redefining the job and rebalancing it with life. Hey, good morning. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland, 107.1 and 91.1 FM in Portland, Oregon. On the coast, the beach, 91.7 to Halem, Wheeler, Manzanita, Rockaway Beach. It's not just the beach, but there's some beautiful coastline out there. And you can listen to X-Ray in it, at it, at 91.7 FM. And you can listen to X-Ray on demand everywhere else in the world, including your smartphone app. But our website's xray.fm. X-Ray FM presents a rescheduled show from Portland Music Month. Pigeon John, Versatile, Dante Thomas, Soup Dread, and the No Request DJs. Live tonight at the Star Theater. Doors at 8 p.m., music at 9 p.m. Tickets and more information available at Star Theater. This is Ross Beach, host of Alive with Pleasure, with this week's edition of the X-Ray FM Concert Calendar, an abridged list highlighting some of the many live music shows in our area. The weekend starting on this Friday, February the 9th. On Friday night, we have Davey Bones and Shauna Pear playing together at the Swan Dive. Family Mystic via Trout Lake Hall. Babers and Jay Graves play together at the Mission Theater. Nug and Strange Pilgrim will be at the No Fun Bar. Yuma Abe comes to Mississippi Studios. Lizzie No plays at Polaris Hall. Too Short will be at the Roseland Theater. Future Birds play the Wonder Ballroom. And Gondos and Machine Country play at the Midnight. Then on Saturday night, Cosmonox plays with Synths and Gadgets at the No Fun Bar. Jet Black Pearl will be at Havelina PDX. Lions of the Interstate perform as part of a Braxling Records showcase at Arbor Beer Lodge. Tazetta Band will be at Polaris Hall. And the Dark Star Orchestra perform at Roseland Theater. Then on Sunday, the Brother Brothers play at TOC Portland and Government Mule celebrates their 30 year anniversary at the Roseland Theater on Monday night Jane Remover comes to Holocene and then on Tuesday night Natasha Cometa will be at Holocene Nervous Boyfriend will be at the No Fun Bar and Juanes come to the Roseland Theater on Valentine's night Wednesday the 14th Seamoss and Palmas Del Sol will be at the Fixin' 2 for a PDX Pop Now fundraiser Silver Sun Pickups play at the Crystal Ballroom and Dylan LeBlanc comes to Mississippi Studios then on Thursday the 15th David Wax Museum will be at TOC Portland. The Rural Alberta Advantage comes to Mississippi Studios. And Hannah Glaver and Kitchen Congregation play together at Show Bar at Revolution Hall. If you're not familiar with all of these artists, I'll be spinning many of them this Friday afternoon from 2 to 4 on Alive with Pleasure right here on X-Ray FM. If you know about a show that you would like included in this concert list, email the details to me at alivewithpleasureradio at gmail.com. This has been Ross Beach with this week's X-Ray FM Concert calendar. All right. <laughs> I was too long-winded and verbose in that first mic break. The uh, rescheduled Portland Music Month program with Pigeon John and Versatile, Soup Dread, and the No Request DJs is at Star Theater, 8 p.m. Our doors. Music's at 9 you can get tickets and find out more information at Star Theater PD or Portland. Excuse me, Star Theater Portland 
Thanks for listening to X-Ray. Tom will be back in a minute. second hour of our program. Uh, we will get back to our conversation about what's going on before the Supreme Court and whether Donald Trump committed insurrection and all that kind of stuff in uh, just a few minutes. But first, uh, Phil Itner is a, a regular guest here on, on Thursdays at this time on the program. And, and he's on the line with us from live from Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, his, excuse me, his video blog you can find over on YouTube as uh, just plug in Philip Itner. His uh, Twitter handle is Philip. And Phil, welcome back to the program. I understand that um, uh, Tucker Carlson's interview with uh, uh, President Putin has gone live on Twitter. Do I have that right? Or on X? Yeah, it, 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 it's, uh, it was scheduled for now. So maybe it, it's approximately, we're told about a two hour interview or something crazy like that. So it may be happening as we speak. I think this is when it was scheduled to, 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 to come out. So, yeah. you know, just giving an open platform to an indicted war criminal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I strongly suspect, although obviously I haven't seen the interview and I probably won't, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll read a transcript. Um, is, is, is Carlson going to really push Putin hard? Is he going to ask him about the 
children that have been ethnically cleansed, kidnapped, and taken to Siberia. From Over a hundred thousand of them, right? Over a hundred thousand Ukrainian children have by been kidnapped their own by Russians. By their by, by their own reckoning, they have they they proudly state that they have saved, in their words, over 100,000 children, which really just means ethnically cleansed and kidnapped. Right. When they say saved, they mean, you know, we're going to purge them of those I- identity as Ukrainian, that that, that that mentality needs to be purged from them. That's their, that's their saying. That's what they're saying. Is Carlson going to bring that up with Putin? Is he going to talk about the mass graves in Izium or the massacres at Bucha? I mean, it's just, it's not journalism, it's information warfare. And and Carlson and Elon Musk are contributing to it. You know, the argument that this is, well, we want to hear both sides. Well, you know, uh, in his announcement about the interview with Putin, uh, Carlson said, you know, uh, we have, you know, no other Western uh, journalist has tried to interview or is, is you know, interviewed uh, Vladimir Putin. I know the press corps in Moscow. They have been asking for an interview for two years, repeatedly. I mean, even Putin's press secretary came out and said Peskov. it's not true. Yeah. Carlson, Peskov came out and said Carlson's lying. Yeah. The international press corps has been asking for an interview with Vladimir Putin, and it's always been denied. So why th- th- that begs the question, why Carlson? Why did Putin and the Kremlin decide to grant the one interview with a Western and he's not a journalist, but when we, a Western outlet with Carlson. Why choose Carlson, who knows next to nothing about this region? Why not get a guy like B, the BBC's Steve Rosenberg, a friend of mine, who's been there for 30 years, speaks fluent uh, Russian and, and knows the place inside and out, but would, would probably ask Putin some hard questions. Right. Putin doesn't like hard questions, so he'll sit down with Carlson, but he won't sit down with somebody who actually knows his stuff yeah it's it's shocking and irresponsible and it's not journalism it's it's propaganda and information warfare it's absolutely disgraceful and to see what's happening on that platform you know it, it's it's just it, it's toxic and you know it's you, tragic. you mentioned where to find me on twitter i, I don't know if i'm going to stay there anymore frankly because it's it's yeah. not it doesn't serve a purpose anymore it, it yeah. makes me angry it's toxic all I see is hate and and disinformation, misinformation, you know, bots. Uh, it's it, you know this this should not be happening. And the, and the repercussions to to Carlson, uh, you know, will probably be few and far between. The Europeans have kind of floated this idea of sanctions and not letting them you know travel within the European Union, but I don't think that's going to get traction. You know, both Musk and Carlson should be really ashamed of themselves. Yeah, they won't be, but they should be. No, I'm I'm with you, Phil. We're talking with Phil Edner, the veteran war correspondent in Kiev, Ukraine. Phil, speaking of uh, shocking and 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 uh, horrific and uh, you know unacceptable, et cetera, um, the Republicans uh, bowing to Donald Trump, bowing to Vladimir Putin just blew up a package that included aid to Ukraine. And I understand that uh, right now the Ukrainian army is having to ration ammunition and the Russians are taking advantage of this by really ramping up their bombing of, of the country where you are right now. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about what I wanted to say to you and to your audience about this. Um, 
Uh, and I've racked my brain to think of a more shameful, uh, embarrassing, uh, you know, turn of events to come out of Congress. And, you know, of course, there are many, but this is this is top of the list. It's yeah. this is we are betraying this country in a way that is um, I, we're going to feel the consequences of it, you know, for, for a very long time. We promise the we guarantee this country uh that that we would we would uphold their their 1991 borders at the, at the 94 uh budapest agreement we 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 urged the ukrainians to give up their nukes and in return we would guarantee their borders and their sovereignty and, and we included russia by the way there was the united states the united kingdom and russia it was everybody involved everybody was yeah you know and it's it, it is a betrayal it's an absolute betrayal, and it's shocking what the GOP is doing at the behest of Trump, who is clearly compromised by Putin. It, it, this is it is one of the most shameful things I've ever seen, and I, I you know, I I walk the streets of Kiev, and I, you know, I had to take my I used to wear a, a U.S. Ukrainian solidarity pin, the two flags together. I had to take it off because I can't look these people in the eye. I can't be here as an American right now with 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 the embarrassment that I feel, hmm. uh, you know, and, and the fact that there are Ukrainian soldiers right now, there are Ukrainian civilians who are being hit with with bombs and missiles that they could have maybe, you know, knocked out of the sky if they had the proper munitions. But we haven't had a, a full shipment uh, from the United States, uh, you know, a proper shipment of military aid in months. And we're running on empty. You know, and the strain is starting to show. They are losing ground out east. It's there's no two ways around it. They're losing ground. Ukrainian soldiers are dying. Ukrainian cities are being bombed. Civilians are dying because the GOP cannot stand up to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is compromised by Putin. It, it, this is a crisis unlike anything I have seen in my life. I've covered wars for over 25 years. Um, the Ukrainians will not surrender. They will not give up. Yeah, they're under massive strain. And yes, it does look in the last couple of hours, we've been informed that the head of the armed forces, General Zaluzhny, has been dismissed. Of course, he serves at the pleasure of, 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 of the president, uh, the commander in chief. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not catastrophic. It's not uh, it, it's not outrageous it's not something to set our hair on fire about he, he apparently will be replaced by the commander of arm uh, of land forces here general uh, sirsky who is a very competent uh, accomplished general and he it will be a seamless uh you know transfer of power well that was that was going to be but my question was sure. what what does that mean i mean why did it happen and what will the consequences be well, it, it, apparently the 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 disagreement between the between the two men, the president and the and the head of the uh, armed forces here, uh, was over Crimea uh, and how to approach Crimea, and uh, the, the just dismissed uh, General Zaluzhny apparently wanted to um, take a more uh, slow and measured approach. He wanted uh, another round of mobilization, large mobilization, uh, and he also wanted a new. Uh, a system of training uh, and uh, you know t take their time and you know 
do a lot of uh, work on the army itself before going for Crimea. And according to, uh, you know, information that's kind of bandied around here, and I spoke to public affairs officers uh, with the Ukrainian forces, um, uh, Zelensky wanted, you know, get to Crimea. He wanted to get, he wanted to put pressure on the Russians by putting pressure on Crimea as quickly as possible. And that's where the disagreement lay. You know, it's, it's common in war that this mm-hmm. would happen. It's yeah. not, this is not, you know, it, it, it is a show of the strain that's happening here, but it's not catastrophic. What, what What is concerning is the fact that clearly the Ukrainians are running out of ammunition because right. we're not providing it. Yeah. Um, and this is know, where so everybody listening to this right now needs to be calling their members of Congress, both their senators 100%. and their members of the House, and raising Please. absolute hell about this. The number is 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121 to get your member of Congress. Phil Idner, thank you, Phil. Thank you, Tom. Good talking. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll uh, resume our conversation about the Supreme Court, Donald Trump, eligibility for the ballot and all that in just a second. And welcome back, David, in Los Angeles. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Um, I've been thinking about uh, this uh, discussion uh, that uh, the Supreme Court has been having, and uh, I have a couple of uh, thoughts. I am a retired uh, uh, trial attorney, and uh, one of the things that uh, came to my mind in listening to this arcane uh, discussion uh, by six uh, Republican appointed Catholic judges gave me the impression that it was uh, rather Jesuitical about uh, these words that and what they mean and uh, and it was very upsetting to me to to feel that they have overlooked common sense uh, if you look in the dictionary about insurrection there's nothing about a conviction it just says it's an act of of rebellion or activity against the authority uh, the uh, Article 14 says nothing about uh, a convicted uh, uh, insurrection requirement. Uh, he certainly conducted an insurrection and assisted in conducting it or, or permitted it and didn't prevent it. So all of those discussions with those little nuances have caused me to really believe how fortunate we are we are to have a trial by jury system in our country and they're not locked into uh, listening to this arcane discussion by these purported intellectual lawyers yeah so you're you're taking this as uh, kind of the equivalent of thomas aquinas uh, debating how many um, angels can fit on the head of a pin yes i i get it i i totally get it um when elena kagan asked the question of one of Trump's lawyers, um, you know, uh, basically, is it reasonable or fair? I'm I'm paraphrasing from memory here. I'm sure I don't have it exactly right. But um, is it reasonable or fair that one state could uh, prevent, uh, you know, a person from being on the ballot nationwide or or could could basically control the outcome of of a national election? That was the point at which it seemed to me, and I think to many other observers, 
that it became clear that the court is going to punt on this. They're, they're going to leave Trump on the ballot. Uh, what say you? I think that uh, that would that would be understandable from their uh, political non-legal point of view, uh, but I think that uh, uh, if 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 you look at it in a commonsensical way, which when I did practice law and and I w- w- argued before a jury, I would ask them. Uh, to please employ in handling the decision in the case to rely on their common sense. Um, and this, this, uh, this situation is, is eliminate, illuminates that requirement because mm-hmm. I think the, the uh, discussion was convoluted and uh, looks to me the like they were just, why you, they were looking for an out. Um, Desperately looking for read the 14th Amendment, uh, Mr. Trump is disqualified, and I think that that would be following the rule of law as I believe it should be followed. But they're uh, following their interpretation of the rule of law as they may determine it for whatever reasons are in their mind that are not stated. Yeah, I'm with you. And not only that, I mean, Clarence Thomas's wife was involved in this insurrection and he didn't even recuse himself. I mean, it's a real, you know, uh, spitting in our faces. David, thank you for the call. Missed my opening rant today? It's usually published over at HartmanReport.com where you can read it and share it with your friends for free. Check it out, HartmanReport.com. So a lot of people are wondering, why is it in America that we can't have nice things? Why don't we have, you know, the same things every other democracy has. Every other democracy in the world has a national health care system of some form, and everybody is covered. We don't. We've got 27 million un- uninsured people, and over 100 million underinsured people. Why is that? Why is it that every other country in the world offers college education very inexpensively, if not for free, and for here you go to debt? Why is it that we've got our public schools crumbling and other, other countries are doing well? Why is it that we've got Medicare being taken apart by this Medicare Advantage scam and nobody will do anything about it? Well, it turns out the reason why has, it boils down to one thing, one Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, legalizing the bribery of our politicians. There's a whole rant about this over at at, uh, HartmanReport.com. I think you're going to find it very, very useful. Check it out. Welcome back. 22 minutes past the hour and uh, picking up your calls here. Mark in Sauk City, Wisconsin. Hey, Mark, what's up? Yeah, thanks so much for taking my call. Yeah, it's the one thing that the Supreme Court should do is actually, you know, eject the sophistry that this, that uh, the Trump team has tried to place into this. Because under Federalist 69, Hamilton actually comes out and says the President of the United States would be an officer elected by the people for four years, and he goes on to say, and be amenable to personal punishment and disgrace. So that's clearly telling me that Hamilton actually believe that the presidency was in office under the United States, 
and uh, that not a, not an aristocracy or a monarchy or a despot that we have to avoid that because that's what Trump wants to establish is, is yes. that an aristocracy, monarchy, or dis- despotism because. Hamilton actually warned about that kind of person when it came to a Federalist 75, I believe. Said a guy, you know, might be an avaricious man and, you know, want to increase his own wealth when he leaves office or while he's in office, which Trump did, you know, violating the emoluments clause. You know, they said, well, we took $7 million. And if I, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Supreme Court said, well, he's not president anymore, so it's no point in talking about the emolu- all the emoluments that Trump took while he was in office. Well, now he's going for the presidency once again. And it is just, and actually, Trump. That in my, it's my belief that this insurrection didn't start on January sixth. It started, you know, prior to the last election in 2020, with this plans to, you know, to negate the results of the election, right. refusing to form a transition team to pre, uh, accommodate the peaceful transition of power. Excellent point. And it just continued and continued and continued and whole fake electors thing, which is another violation, I think, under uh, 14.2, because it's supposed to be we the people that select the electors, not the electors that are selecting themselves, self-selecting themselves right. in, in violation of the Constitution. And I, and I appreciate your patience when, when Billy from Texas was sitting there calling us, us on who believe what we believe, liars, that it is just kind of, uh, you know, not the most... Um, honest thing to do because it's not a difference of opinion because Donald Trump has behaved in a way that has been unpresidential in unprecedented levels that since he's been in office. Mm-hmm. I, I just, um, you know, that it, it is just, it's just shocking to me that uh, the people are still supporting him and that he is uh, able to get away with it. And he's even now he, you know, you know, there are, there, are, there are some men out there, Mark, who are just real happy to have a guy who rapes women as president. I and mean, he's a convicted other, rapist now. He, that's the other thing that gets me is, is that how, how that supposedly you know, good Christian men and women can support a man who, even before he took office, he bragged about you know, that he was sexually assaulting women. Yeah. I mean, and, that, he, and, and he, he cheated on all three of his wives. And, yeah. 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 It just is shocking that they would, would continue want this I'm to with continue. You. I'm with you, Mark. I, I need to move along, but thank you for that uh, you, that brother. tip on yeah. Thank you on Federalist 69. I'm going to look that up. Thank you very much, Mike in Seattle. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind? Well, the, everybody keeps forgetting about the the um, full statement about what you can't do. It's not just engage in a insurrection or rebellion it's also given aid and comfort for the enemies enemies thereof and those people were enemies thereof well and 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 i believe 20 of them have been convicted of insurrection correct and he did explicitly on tv gave comfort yes absolutely Absolutely, and that never got brought up in the hearings, to the best of my knowledge. But everybody drops that. Yeah, it's the whole statement. It's not just the narrow statement that he was, you know, you know, uh, he received, you know, he was accused and you know proven that insurrection. We have the proof that he gave that comfort. Right. Right. That's interesting. If if uh, Jenna Griswold's office or if the Solicitor General 
uh, Shannon, what's her name, uh, uh, Thompson, Wh whatever her name was, yeah. if she had uh, argued the aid and comfort provision rather than the engaging in insurrection provision, uh, I think you're right, Mike. It would have been a much stronger argument. Correct. Uh, and so, much, much harder to refute. But I wish that everybody would use all the words, not just some of the words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Mike, thank you. <laughs> Excellent point. Thank you very much. It's 27 minutes past the hour. We'll continue this conversation on the other side of the break. Uh, your thoughts on, you know, the Supreme Court hearing this morning, where this might go, how it should play out, uh, what the consequences to the United States and future elections might be, and uh, the possibility of Donald Trump coming back into office. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Defending America from the weapons of mass deception. I'll be right back with your calls. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Today we're reading from David Enrich's book, Dark Towers, Deutsche Bank, Donald Trump, and an Epic Trail of Destruction. This is from Chapter 10. It's titled The Mar-a-Lago Prize. In 1905, a German immigrant living in the Bronx set up a small barber shop on the ground floor of a newly constructed building at 60 Wall Street in the heart of Manhattan's booming financial district. In an era before skyscrapers, the 25-story L-shaped tower was a landmark its gargoyle guarded roof visible from the nearby waterfront. The barbershop thrived, offering shaves and trims to a procession of bankers, stock exchange traders, lawyers, and office workers. Barber's name was Frederick Trump. The same year that he opened the shop, his wife gave birth to a boy named Fred. Many years passed, and the barbershop closed, and the old 60 Wall Street gave way to, in 1989 to a new, a new 60 Wall Street, a 47-story tower topped with a distinctive pyramid roof. For a time, it was home to J.P. Morgan and Company. Then the bank left, and in 2005, Deutsche Bank started relocating its American staff, displaced ever since 9-11, to its new home at 60 Wall Street. And so Frederick Trump's grandson, born to Fred's wife in 1946, became an occasional visitor to the site of his grandfather's old barber shop. Deutsche's relationship with Donald Trump had only deepened since Mike Offit left. Justice Justin Kennedy, this is the son of uh, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy, Justin Kennedy, now a managing director, had become a key point contact for Trump and helped chaperone large real estate deals for him through the bank. Kennedy's role was to find customers to buy portions of loans after Deutsche dispensed the money, a process that allowed Deutsche Bank to make larger loans than it otherwise could have. Kennedy sometimes sat with Trump in his luxury box at the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament or at Manhattan nightclubs, where Trump would park himself at a table in the corner facing outward, holding court like a mafia don. Now, with Kennedy's encouragement, Deutsche hurried along a Henry Villard-like path. In 2000, the bank had plunked down another $150 million to be used for the renovations of Trump's building at 40 Wall Street. The next year, Deutsche agreed to extend Trump a mortgage worth more than $900 million, at the time the largest ever on a, on a single property, so he could buy the General Motors building on the southeastern corner of New York's Central Park. Trump already owned half of the 50-story building. He wanted the rest. And in 2002, Deutsche agreed 
to refinance about $70 million that he owed on some of his Atlantic City casinos. Those loans came out of Deutsche's commercial real estate division, which Kennedy was helping to run. Not everyone was enamored with Trump. Seth Waugh, W-A-U-G-H, one of Edson's many Merrill Lynch recruits and the head of Deutsche's American operations, learned around 2001 that the bank was planning to lend Trump about $500 million to use as he wished, basically an unrestricted cash infusion to stabilize the developer's flagging finances. Waugh had previously witnessed up close the carnage that Trump could inflict on imprudent financial institutions. At Merrill, Edison had assigned him the task of mopping up after Trump defaulted on nearly $700 million of bonds that Merrill had helped sell for his Taj Mahal casino in Atlantic City. Waugh was in no hurry to repeat the experience at Deutsche. He voiced strong objections to the proposed new loan to Trump, in which Trump would not have had to put up any hard assets as collateral. And the deal soon died. Yet Deutsche's broader Trump relationship rumbled on. In 2003, another arm of Deutsche, focused on helping companies raise money by selling stocks and bonds to investors, agreed to work with Trump. The point man on this part of the relationship was Richard Byrne, another Merrill veteran who had been involved in the Taj Mahal debacle. Byrne had helped sell the ill-fated Taj bonds to investors. Now Trump hired Byrne's group at Deutsche to issue bonds for his troubled Trump Hotel and Casino Resorts. Byrne knew this would be an uphill battle. Not only had Trump defaulted in the past, but he also had recently been taunting investors that he might stop paying back another outsta- other outstanding bonds. Waugh didn't, didn't warn Byrne about the recently rejected $500 million loan, and so Byrne organized a roadshow for Trump to meet with and try to win over big institutional investors. He escorted Trump to meetings all over New York and Boston. At every stop, boardrooms and auditoriums were jammed with traders, fund managers, senior executives, and secretaries curious to see the Donald show. And Trump didn't disappoint. He rocked, he rolled, and he delivered wildly optimistic and inconsistent financial projections. Afterward, Trump called Byrne to ask how much money they'd raised. The answer, alas was virtually zero. Byrne braced for an explosion as he explained to Trump that though he'd been treated like a celebrity, nobody trusted him with their money. Trump took the rejection in stride. Let me talk to your salespeople, he requested. Byrne agreed, and Trump came to deliver a pep talk. Fellas, I know this isn't the easiest thing you've all had to sell, he acknowledged, but if you get this done, you'll all be my guests at Mar-a-Lago. Trump was always good at pushing an audience's buttons. A weekend with Trump at Mar-a-Lago, bragging rights that not even money could buy. And this new incentive did the trick. The salesman worked the phones, cast a wider net for more clients, and managed to sell an impressive $485 million of junk bonds, albeit at a high interest rate that reflected investors' fears that Trump might default. The book Dark Towers by David Enrich. Hey, if you like the rants that I open the show with every day, they're typically published over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. You know, between uh, 40 years of Ronald Reagan's neoliberalism destroying the American middle class and all the just horrors of January 6th and the Trump presidency, America's waking up. And that's a really good thing. There's actually, you know, some books coming out about this. I mine The Hidden History of Democracy. Neil Howes, the fourth turning is here. 
And it looks like a, a moment of American renaissance is upon us if our media doesn't screw it up, which raises the question, can we have democracy and Fox News? Can the two coexist? Like, you know, when Fox News runs Chiron saying that, that uh, essentially Joe Biden is a wannabe dictator who's throwing Trump in jail because he's his political opponent. There's a whole rant about this and an in-depth analysis of what can we do with regard to repairing our media here in the United States over at HartmanReport.com. I think you'll find it interesting. Check it out. Thirty-five minutes past the hour, picking up your calls here, and uh, boy, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, with regard to what's going on here, uh, George in Portland. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. A um, couple of years, a few years ago, uh, you had Mark Pocan on the show before the election, and I called in and I said Republicans are staging a coup right in front of our faces, and you know we're not talking about it. I think we're talking about it a little bit, but they're doing it again. They're planning on having this election some one way or another. I agree. I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I mean, we know that there are conversations among Republican circles about how to, uh, how to support third party candidates in the hopes that they can prevent uh, 270 electoral college votes for Joe Biden um, or how, how they can. Well, that's the main one, actually, and you know, other ways that they might be able to rig the election. Because, you know, hey, if you can't win fair, you cheat. That's the, the Republican well, motto. There also hasn't been any real accountability for anyone at any high level, right? There hasn't been any real accountability for the fake electors. You know, they'll do that again. Right. If no one's held accountable, they're going to do that again. Well, some of those fake electors look like they might be going to jail. But what, what baffles me, George, is why only two states so far have tried to hold fake electors to account. Uh, the rest of the states are like, yeah, it's okay. Maybe three. I don't, I don't know if Michigan is doing that or not. But, yeah, it's a good point. George, thank you very much. Chad in Chicago. Hey, Chad, what's up? Tom, good to talk to you again. want to make a few quick points on, on why this wasn't an insurrection. And also support Jack Smith uh, on this point, on why he didn't charge Trump with uh, insurrection. So two days before uh, January 6th, uh, Trump personally authorized the use of up to 20,000 National Guard's troops, okay? Uh, on January 5th, he put out a statement, and he said this on CNN's town hall. He told it to Caitlin Collins. Uh, he said, he put out a statement, stay peaceful, remain peaceful, respect our law enforcement, and respect our Capitol Police. Trump didn't actually tweet uh, that. His uh, chief of staff did. Oh, and they, and, well, and Trump did not authorize 20,000 troops. In fact, to the opposite, his defense secretary, Chris Miller, uh, published a memo on January 4th that explicitly said that no National Guard troops could provide any assistance whatsoever, including equipment or even intelligence, to the Capitol Police. Yeah, well, I, I disagree, and you could listen to Cash Patel's testimony uh, to the Colorado court. Yeah, well, uh, I, I'm not believing anything Cash Patel says, first of all. And secondly, I've got the document. I mean, the whole world has seen it. You know, Chris Miller's document saying, you know, National Guard, you may not show up, is absolutely unambiguous. And he was the Secretary of Defense. That day, that day, that day he, uh, I'm sorry, he was authorized. That day, they authorized up to 300 and 50 troops from the D.C. area, I believe. Nope. But prior to that day, it, oh, okay. All right, so Cash Patel's a liar, I guess. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll pin it Absolutely. Out. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And, and like I said, I've got the memo. 
I've got the memo. Wait, lastly, lastly. Cash Patel's also behind, you know, he's part of this whole 2,000 mules thing. I mean, you know, the the lies. Well, anyway, back to you, Chad. Cash Patel lied to the Colorado court. Why haven't they charged him with. You'd have to ask the Colorado court. I have no idea. Oh, okay. He's such a liar. Why haven't they charged him? You know, I, I don't even know that he actually said that to the Colorado court, Chad. All I have is your assertion of it. But the fact of the matter is that the Secretary of Defense, working for Donald okay. Trump, the acting Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller, issued a memo, and I encourage you to look for this memo on the Internet. You can easily find it. They issued a memo on January 4th saying there will be no, zero, no participation by the by the National Guard in any defense of the Capitol. He, he just, in fact, I, I think I've got it here, and I'll read it to you. I mean, it's it's okay. Pretty well, again, then somebody ought to ought to go put a set of leg shackles and handcuffs on Cash Patel for lying to the Colorado courts because that's. Well, I'm sure Cash Patel isn't on the, the only one who's saying those kind of things. Okay, and then the final piece, real quick. Okay, um, and I enjoyed talking with you. Uh, Nobody, including yourself, and I, and I watched the, the the sham cable show, the January sixth. Not one time did I have I heard you or anybody else mention Trump saying that we're going to go peacefully and patriotically let our voices be heard. Not once. I've never in in the past year. I've never heard you say that, and I've never heard MSNBC say that. And the January sixth committee never once showed that clip. Here so, is here is the memo from from uh, from uh, Chris, Christopher Miller, the Acting Secretary of Defense. It's dated January fourth, twenty twenty one. If you just plug in Chris Miller January fourth memo, you'll find it uh, real quickly on on the internet. Memorandum for Secretary of the Army Employment Guidance is this memorandum responds to your January fourth uh, memorandum regarding the District of Columbia request for National Guard support in response to planned demonstrations on January 6, 2021. You are authorized to approve the requested support subject to my guidance below and subject to consultation with the Attorney General as required by Executive Order 11485. So he says, you're authorized to do this. So that's probably what Cash Patel was saying. But with these caveats, now here are the bullet points. Without my subsequent personal authorization, the National Guard is not authorized the following. Number one, to be issued weapons, ammunition, bayonets, batons, or ballistic protection equipment such as helmets and body armor. So number one, you've got to, if you're going to help the Capitol Police, you've got to do so basically naked. You've got to do so in your street clothes. Number two, to interact physically with protesters except when necessary in self-defense or defense of others consistent with the DNC NG rules for the use of force. Number three, to employ any riot control agents. You may not control the riot at all. You may not use tear gas or anything like that. Number four, to share equipment with law enforcement agencies. You may not help the Capitol Police. Number five, to use intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets, or to conduct ISR incident awareness and assessment activities. In other words, you may not help the Capitol Police when they're under attack by providing them with any information at all. Number six, I think I'm up to, to employ helicopters or any other air assets. You may not use your hardware. Number seven, to conduct searches, seizures, uh, arrests, or other similar direct law enforcement activity. You may not help in any way in the in the form of, of, of what could be called law enforcement and finally to seek support from any non-dc national guard national guard units and as you may not even get help from because you'll you'll recall you had the governor the republican governor of maryland was trying to deploy his national guard to washington dc and the secretary of defense chris miller prevented it from happening 
The, the okay, memo John, says, in all these cases, the D.C. National Guard will remain under the operational administrative command and control of the commanding general of the DCNG who reports to the Secretary of Defense through the Secretary of the Army. In other words, to me. You may employ the DCNG quick re reaction force only as a re last resort and in response to a request from an appropriate, appropriate civil authority. So, you know, there you go. I mean, I just read you the whole memo. Okay, I think you're missing my point. My point was that Trump was of the mindset, and this is what we're getting back to, of the mindset of here. Whether whether he uh, was able to, to carry that out, whether that order was ever ever to be carried out or not, my point, and I'm trying to make it, is I'm I'm, I'm trying to illustrate the mindset of this whole insurrection. You mean the when he said you got to fight like hell, or you're not going to have a country anymore? Uh, well, let, let's go back, and we can go through. We can go through all. I, of I'm not going to go through any of it, Chad. I, I you know, you've made your point. I've made my point. I'm going to move along. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today? Hi, um, I had no intentions of calling today, but um, one of your callers called in and, and stated that if you have to lie to make a point, then your point is not, uh, he said it in slightly different words, mm -hmm. your point's not worth making. Uh, that's a talking point that I use privately all the time. And uh, there, I have a lot of things that will fit on a bumper sticker that I never put on the internet because as soon as I put it on the internet, the Republicans reverse engineer it, and then they come and throw it back at the de at the Democrats. Hmm. Um, that guy got that from me. And I did it just two weeks ago, and it only took two weeks for a Republican to get on a, a program somewhere. And in fact, somebody did it almost in the same day, had to do it to me. Well, I think it's also and an I, old and, cliche, and I, Larry. And I beat him I, down. I, I don't think this is unique to you. You know, if, if, you've, if you have no, to lie I, to make I, a no, point, your not. point is useless. It's with anything that Democrats come up with, um, uh, we we impeached Donald Trump in, because he was uh, he deserved it. Mm -hmm. So now they want to impeach Joe Biden, not because they have anything on him, but just because it happened to them. They did the same thing with Bill Clinton. This is what Republicans do: they take anything that sounds good, anything that 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 actually uh, sounds like, oh, that was a good point. I'm going to use that. That's how they uh, even gain power. So this guy did that. What's well, normal and, politics, and, Larry? Yes, it is. But in other, for, in other words, when I did it to the guy on the Internet, first I went through and proved that he was lying. Right. And I, I went through a whole, just like what you did with this guy, Yeah. Um, your last caller. Yeah. I went through the whole bullet points and proved that he was a liar. And then I said, my, my closing argument was, if you have to lie to make a point, your point was not worth making. Your last caller made, was telling lies, and he got caught. Well, I think he I think he thought he was telling the truth and and no, reviewing the memo from Chris Miller. Miller actually did say you may provide assistance, but only under these terms. You can't wear a uniform, you can't use equipment, you can't communicate, you can't carry weapons, you can't have tear gas. Uh, I mean, you know, it was, it, it, what it was was it, it was a setup so that in the future some administration official could go on TV and say or go or testify in court or whatever and say, "Oh yeah, we were perfectly willing to provide them with assistance from the National Guard." When in fact they had put so many limitations on it it was useless. I don't give Republicans the benefit of the doubt. I get I, it. I just don't. I get Every it, Larry. Every single one of them lies. I get it. Okay, Larry, thank you very much. Uh, 46 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back. It's uh, talk media for the sane among us. Hopefully, we'll be right back with you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
Helping you win the water cooler wars. I'll be right back with your calls. Stay with us. And welcome back. Alvin in Greeley, Colorado. Hey, Alvin, what's on your mind today? Oh, good to talk to you, Tom. I wanted to extend on what the lady from Idaho called. Um, Trump received due process. Uh, his lawyers uh, in Colorado, um, they were able to present a defense. The Colorado district judge ruled Trump did engage in insurrection. This was a finding of fact by a court of law. And then the Colorado Supreme Court reaffirmed that ruling. Correct. So Trump has a, he's got due process, has been found. At the state level. Engaged in insurrection. At the state level. And, and you know, I, 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 although I didn't hear this distinction made in the, in the arguments this morning. But he was he was he was given due process and he was essentially convicted of insurrection at the state level. Whether that applies to a federal case, well, I, well, I don't know. I, I I agree with you, Alvin. I, you know, obviously, but um, you know, I, I I I predict that the Supreme Court is going to leave him on the ballot. Alvin, thank you for the call, Brian in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Brian, what's up? Yeah, all the Trumpists are coming out of the woodworks to call you today, and two, two, I just had to respond to two of them. Um, you know, a couple callers ago, one guy was just was, was saying, why aren't, why aren't the libs ever saying the one time Trump said, be peaceful? Um, I have tons of video of me not robbing a bank. It doesn't mean I didn't <laughs> rob a bank. I, 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 okay. I did it. I did it. I, I didn't, Tom. But the video of me not robbing a bank is not doesn't clear me of guilt if I did. And another caller said, like earlier, he said, like if you have to lie to make your point or whatever. And I just I could come up with a, thousands of these examples. But Trump's at a union meeting a, a year ago or so, and he has non-union members holding up signs that say "Union Workers for Trump." That wasn't a year or so ago. That was three weeks ago. I, Oh, I thought the the recoverage of it was was a few weeks ago. Well, whenever. Oh, well, it was. it's it's possible. But, I, mean, I thought just, I thought there were two different uh, times that yeah. uh, Biden but, went to Michigan and Trump tried to follow him. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. May, keep going, Brian. Maybe, but 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 it's not it's not a hundred percent zero percent what I'm about to say. But it's never that way. That's childish to think that way. But like, which party is like lying about what they're trying to offer, and which party is not? Again, not zero percent, a hundred percent. But like, the Republican Party is so guilty of that, and your caller was so convinced that the Democrats are always lying about everything to prove their point. I just that guy. I just it's insane. What yeah. what? Well, here's the question: Is what's what's the lie? I mean, the Republicans. Uh, when Joe Biden pointed out that Republicans have been trying to, you know, privatize Social Security since 1935, uh, they they booed him in Congress, and he said, "Oh, good. So you guys are in favor of Social Security." And then we discover exactly. that, you know, here comes the Cat Food Commission. Uh, you know, they're going to try and privatize exactly. Social Security, uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it's they they they, they tell you that they're going to try and cut your taxes when, in fact, they want to cut the taxes for the billionaires. Um, you know, Donald Trump campaigned on on bringing our jobs home. He didn't bring our jobs home. In fact, actually, his NAFTA deal, his his redone NAFTA deal, gave corporations a big tax break if they moved their factories to Mexico. 
Donald Trump did that. Yeah. I mean, he actually increased yeah. the export of American jobs. And yet everybody thinks, oh, Donald Trump saved us all, you know, saved us. It's crazy. Brian, I got to run, but thank you for the call. It's uh, Your points are very well made. Ten minutes before the hour, I'll be back with you in 60 seconds. Stay with us. Hey, thanks so much for sharing our program and for reaching out to our stations and sponsors and letting them know that you're listening. It really means a lot to us. So back in 1933, when Franklin Roosevelt became president, we were in the depths of the Great Depression. He raised the top income tax rate on billionaires from, from 25% to 90%. The ultra-rich were screaming, and here's what he had to say. A number of my friends who belong in these very high upper brackets have suggested to me on several occasions of late that if I am re-elected president, they will have to move to some other nation because of high taxes here. Now, I will miss them very much. He just took it right to them, right? Now, what came out of that was the world's largest and fastest growing and first major middle class. We can do this again. We just have to raise taxes on rich people. It's pretty straightforward. There's a whole article about it over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Welcome back. Picking up your calls. Thank you, Mark. Uh, let's see here. Brett in Oakview, California. Hey, Brett, what's up? Hey, good morning. Um, I, I listened to as much of the Supreme Court hearing this morning as I could, and I got the same impression you did, that they were just sort of looking for an excuse to uh, take Bail. it away from them so yeah. that they wouldn't be held responsible for any kind of uh, action. Uh, so they would rather defer to the side of inaction. But um, it was kind of – Harry Littman wrote a great piece back on December 19th. I read it in the L.A. Times. It probably appeared in any number of papers across the country that uh, he gave – you know, he gave a list of three or four of their options of what what they probably could do, and then he he said, uh, you know, finally the Supreme Court could hold that the Colorado justices shouldn't have taken up this question in the first place. The rationale would be that Section Three is qualitatively different from the other constitutional qualifications and isn't susceptible to court resolution. Hmm. And you know, maybe having that in mind, uh, this morning while I was listening to the judges. <laughs> skewed my perspective, but it sure seemed like uh, a lot of their questions to either the plaintiff's attorneys or the defendant's attorneys were kind of geared that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think basically they're going to say that, you know, the Supreme Court of Colorado shouldn't have taken it up in the first place. And then if you want to take it a step further, I do think they're going to uh, not grant Sertiorari to the Chutkin case um, uh, regarding immunity. So I agree. That, so I agree. They're going to leave them on the ballots, but they're going to uh, leave it up to the courts to determine whether uh, he was guilty of the um, election interference in 2020. That's the main federal Jack Smith case. Right. And Which raises so an interesting question, Brett. It becomes, I'm sorry, finish I'm sorry, your thought. Well, you know, it basically becomes... Uh, 
you know, the path of least resistance for the Supreme Court and to let the other courts do the work for them so that they... Exactly. Uh, which, ra- which raises the question, why is the court trying so hard to avoid knocking Donald Trump off the ballot? Is it because they think that, you know, it's the right thing? Or is it because they're terrified of his minions, you know, uh, sh- showing up and burning their houses down or something? B. Yeah, I think so, too. I think they're scared. <laughs> I really do. Well, and I don't know that they're... I think it's a legitimate fear, by fear. the way. Yeah, I like to say, I don't know that they're not justified in that fear. I mean, we've seen uh, what happens when, when uh, the former president gets his minions all stirred up, January 6th, yep. which brings up all kinds of points that I didn't call to make. But like I said, I think they're going to determine that the Supreme Court of Colorado shouldn't have taken it up basically nullify their results, leave Trump on the ballot. Uh, and then with that, all the other states don't have to begin engaging in the same process of whether Trump does or doesn't belong on the ballot. And yeah. we certainly know which states would vote, which, which exactly. states would rule which ways. Exactly. No, I, I got then, it. Like I said, I think the no, he, immunity case is going to get kicked back. And yeah, there's no doubt about that in my mind. I, I completely agree with you. Brett, thank you very much. Kevin in Santa Rosa, California. Hey, Kevin, what's up? Hi, I have a question. Can you hear me okay? Sure. Um, so the uh, question has come up um, over and over that um, about Trump has was not convicted of insurrection. Correct. And, and what I want to know, and I can't find it, is what law was there against insurrection in 1868 that they could have been um, expecting that he would have had to have been convicted of. Insurrection has um, been illegal I, since the founding of the Republic, and uh, there's in fact a law that was passed in the in the 1790s called the Insurrection Act. Um, right, that specifically that refers to that. With, and Trump with, uh, was found guilty of insurrection, by the way, by a Colorado District Court and then by the Colorado Supreme Court. They both found him guilty of insurrection. That law from the 1790s has to do with. Uh, um, deploying the military, I didn't see that it actually made insurrection uh, illegal. Um, so that, that that's basically my my problem with this. This no. morning they were. I don't, I don't think George to, Washington would have would have ridden to to put down Shays Rebellion or the Whiskey Rebellion, whichever one it was that he went personally on, um, if he thought it was legal. Well, but. Uh, I don't see that they would have been requiring that he be convicted in 1868. Right. Well, uh, uh, unless a law existed. That's all. I, yeah. I, I, Kevin, I'm not sufficiently conversant with, you know, laws around insurrection to know if they're to, to know what the specific law is. But I, I would be astonished if insurrection was not illegal. Kevin, thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Is corporate ethics an oxymoron? Do you have to be a jerk to be a successful CEO? Is exploitation the only path to profit? The good news is that many companies, big and small, in the food economy are blazing a different path through Wall Street's jungle of greed, demonstrating that money and morality can be compatible. 
Texas supermarket chain HEB, for example, has drawn an intense loyal customer base by, one, investing in good wages and benefits for employees, two, showing up in such emergencies as pandemics, hurricanes, freezes, to give essential supplies and hands-on help, and three, being an involved and supportive neighbor to the hundreds of unique communities it serves. Also, Maine Grains is relocalizing the business of milling grain by working with local farmers who had been abandoned by global grain marketers. They're producing flowers from heritage grains, boosting the local economy in the process. Then there's Bob's Red Mill, which also mills its products from diverse natural grains, and it's 100% employee-owned. These are part of a rising business alternative to the selfish profiteering ethic of Fortune 500 titans. Called certified B corporations, they definitely exist to make a profit, but they're equally focused on having a positive social impact, prioritizing fair wages, environmental protections, and healthy communities as core elements of their missions, even making those goals legal requirements of their corporate charter. This is Jim Hightower saying Ben and & Jerry's and New Belgium Brewery are just a couple more of some 3,800s now organized as B Corps. Though not pretending to be perfect, they're at least striving to be more than money grubbers, instead trying to contribute to the common good. For more information, go to bcorporation.net. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM, and in Nehalem, Manzanita, Wheeler, and Rockaway Beach at 91.7 FM. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1894. That was the day gold miners in Cripple Creek, Colorado, walked out on strike. Mine owners increased the workday from 8 to 10 hours. They refused to increase workers' pay accordingly. Workers immediately affiliated with the Western Federation of Miners. Local 19 leader John Calderwood demanded a return to the 8-hour day at the previous wage, but the mine owners refused. About six weeks into the strike, the larger gold mines imported scabs. Violence soon followed. The El Paso County Sheriff demanded the governor call out the state militia. But Colorado's governor, Davis Waite, was a populist. He recalled the troops upon learning that they would be used as strike breakers. Soon, the mine owners raised their own private army of 100 troops, which grew to over 1,200. By May, miners had armed themselves. They took over a mine in Victor and blew it up when deputies arrived with scabs. Governor Waite ordered the owner's private army disbanded and called the militia out to defend the strikers. Mine owners agreed to return to the eight-hour workday at no loss in pay, but refused to disband their army. They arrested and beat hundreds of miners. The owners finally disbanded the forces when the governor threatened the militia's presence in Victor for a month to keep the scab army immobilized. It was the first 
and probably only time a state militia was called out in defense of striking workers. According to Eric Loomis, it was arguably labor's biggest win in the Gilded Age. Waite lost the next election, but the victory meant enormous organizing gains for the Western Federation of Miners throughout the Rocky Mountain region. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Have you ever thought about becoming a DJ? Maybe you have an interesting story to tell, or just want to help people stay informed about what's happening around town. Well, X-Ray is now accepting applications for new shows. Whether you're a seasoned radio DJ or a newcomer, all experience levels and types of shows are welcome. To apply, simply visit the X-Ray website, xray.fm, and find the show applications link on our homepage. Or follow the link, xray.fm slash applications. But hurry, the deadline to apply for a show is February 11th at 11.59 p.m. For more information, visit xray.fm. Support for X-Ray FM comes from North Coast Pinball, Nahalem's Little Pinball Sanctuary, located on Highway 101 next to North Coast Mudworks. North Coast Pinball offers monthly tournaments and a selection of games from the 1970s to the present. Learn more at northcoastpinball.com.
is he guilty of insurrection? Is the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment self-executing? Is Donald Trump an officer of the United States? Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, th there's a growing consensus. I've, I've been, during the breaks here, uh, checking out uh, the commentators on TV and also, you know, reading the, the various newspapers and whatnot that I can find online. And uh, the growing consensus is that the Supreme Court is going to say, sorry, Colorado, you can't keep him off the ballot. Um, he, there, there may be uh, a couple of different rationalizations for this. One could be the officer of, of the United States rationalization. Another could be that the 14th Amendment is not self-executing. These are highly technical. And that's probably the kind of thing the Supreme Court is going to want to go with because it's going to cause the average person to go, oh, I guess this is all that legal highfalutin stuff that only, you know, top-notch lawyers and Supreme Court justices understand. Um, I, I think the biggest shock for me this morning was that Clarence Thomas was sitting there after his wife engaged in this insurrection deciding whether Donald Trump should be kept off the ballot for engaging in an insurrection with Clarence Thomas's wife. I mean, that's, that's pretty breathtaking, really, when you think about it. So, all that said, let's continue our conversation. Pick up your calls here. Jim in uh, Lone Tree, Colorado. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind? Yeah, with the Supreme Court accepting this case, isn't that an admission that he did commit insurrection and that uh, they're just trying to decide if he is disqualified or not? And no. I haven't heard any judge say... He's not guilty of insurrection. So, well, and in fact, the Supreme Court of Colorado said that he is guilty of insurrection, although they did not provide any specific penalty and they didn't cite any specific statute. But they said, uh, you know, for purposes of the 14th Amendment, what Donald Trump did was insurrection. And that was ruled by the district judge as well as by the Supreme Court, the Colorado Supreme Court. Oh, I just lost, just lost my caller. I'm sorry about that. I don't know if. You dropped or I dropped you, but I think you must have dropped off. Clay in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Hey, Clay, what's on your mind this morning? Hey, um, I guess first let me just uh, make a quick comment to Billy that called about and mentioned that he thought that Donald Trump believed that he had been cheated. Yeah. Well, that's obviously not the case because every single time Donald Trump has ever lost anything, he has claimed fraud, and even before he loses, he claims fraud. Right. And lies about and, uh, it. Well, not yeah, only that, in, but, two, two, in 2016, he and Roger Stone had already registered Stop the Steal as a, as a, right, a, as exactly. a website. That's I mean, my point. he was, he was going to do this in 2016 if he lost, as he fully yep. expected to, to lose. And then in 2020, when, by, you know, by the summer of 2020, when it was obvious he was not going to win the re-election, I mean, his poll numbers were just in the tank. At that point, he began ginning up this idea that there was voter fraud and all this I mean, you know, he saw this coming. He knew what was going on. Yeah. So, uh, to, for the for the uh, case in the court, the Supreme Court, um, I to me, it seems like it. I think that most of the the judges had reasonable concerns and questions, ex, um, except for Clarence Thomas asking about historical precedent or whatever. Has this ever been done before? Well, who cares? This is this is the first time, you know, so it doesn't matter if it's not been done before. Right. But We've anyway, never had a president um, lead an insurrection before. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's a slippery slope to give the states the choice on this. Now, they have the choice for age and the choice for citizenship. No, they don't have are, a choice. Well, no, we're they right, have to right, follow the Constitution. They, 
that's what I mean. They, they, that, yeah, those those ones. They, they, it's easy to say. You know, that it either is or it isn't. But right. in a case for insurrection, well, that you know, I'm, if you give the states the right to decide on what is insurrection and not these red states, you know, they're going to just come up with whatever. Yeah. And uh, the former and, insurrectionist and so, states, you mean, Clay? <laughs> like where you live? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In Mississippi. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. So that that I think that could potentially be a huge problem if this is allowed to, you know, if the states can make this choice, unless it's very, very strictly, somehow strictly, you know, regulated. Yeah. But well, and my guess that is happens. that that's what the Supreme Court's going to do. They're going to ring fence this thing. They're going to say, you know, okay, you could have done this, Colorado, like if it. this and this and this had happened. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think they're going to let it happen. I yeah. think it's going to be pretty much almost unanimous, if not unanimous, that they, they can't they can't do it. I agree. I think so. I think the one dissenter may be uh, Sotomayor, but we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be and, and or maybe uh, be, Jackson. Yeah, um, but as far as Trump doing insurrection and convicting him, that I think that's also going to be a hard uh, something to do because. Uh, you know, his rhetoric is bad, mm-hmm. but rhetoric is not. It seemed to me, from what I've been able to understand, is that the people around him organized this thing, and whether or not he was directly involved, I can't remember if there was any direct connection, you know, between him and Bannon or, you know, these other people that kind of kind of organized the, 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 the uh, assembly of the people. Right. But uh, so I, I think that could be it, it's going to be a hard swallow to get, I think, a conviction on insurrection for, for what Trump did, I, even I, though he, what he did was despicable. I suspect you're right. Clay. And what he wanted to do is despicable. Yeah, I, I suspect anyway, you're right. That's my thought. Clay, thank you very much. Uh, by the way, I just looked up uh, 18 U.S. Code 2383. This is a federal law. It was put into uh, uh, put into law in 1948. Interestingly, and uh, it's titled Rebellion or Insurrection. Whoever incites, sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof, or gives aid or comfort thereto, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years, or both, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. Which raises the question again, and I, I, you know, I've mentioned this a number of times, and you know, why didn't Jack Smith indict Donald Trump for insurrection? Uh, I, I really think he should, and I don't think it's too late. But uh, I'd love to see that trial. John in Auburn, California. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Uh, good morning, y'all. Uh, morning here, sir. Um, it is here I'm too. I'm referring to the term chief executive officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president of the United States, chief executive officer, he signs all of the con- congressional bills into law. He is a chief executive officer. I agree with you. I agree with you, although that phrase does not appear in the Constitution. Uh, well, it, it was a comment I, I heard this morning uh, by William on C-SPAN's uh, Open Forum Part 2, minute mm-hmm. fourteen. 50 seconds. Yeah. So, no, common sense suggests that he's an officer of the United States. Uh, tradition suggests he's an officer of the United States. 
Um, I, you know, like yeah, I said, I, 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 th- I think that, it, that, that William suggested it was it was uh, part of part of the Constitution. Yeah, uh, the, the when, phrase when "chief executive officer" to the best of my knowledge does not appear in the Constitution. That's that's a uh, that's a modern corporate phrase. You know, the I, in fact, I think it's a 20th century corporate phrase. I I don't think the phrase CEO was in widespread use before the 1940s. Although I, I could be wrong, but I you know, I, in fact, I remember when I was a kid um, when CEO. Yeah, this was in the '60s or '70s, and and there were there were presidents of companies who started calling themselves CEOs, and it was like the prestigious yeah, thing to do. Anointed. Yeah, and well, and they and part of it was that they were starting to split out these executive offices. There was the chief executive officer, then there was the chief financial officer, the CFO, and then there was the chief, you know, operations officer. Yeah, exactly, COO. They had a bunch of these different chief officers, and and but all of that, and to my recollection, again, I may be wrong, but to my recollection, all of that is uh, 20th century, 21st century stuff. But but I think. Yeah, I think technically you're right, John. Thank you for the call. It's 15 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back. A lot to talk about here. Uh, What's going on? How's this going to shake out? Where are we going? What does Bush v. Gore tell us about this? I'll be back with your calls right now. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The Supreme Court this morning uh, hearing, uh, having hearings on Bush, well, revisiting Bush v. Gore in a way. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Pat in uh, Puerto Rico. Hey, Pat, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hey there. As I heard the, the justices on the left and right both use, you know, the classic founding fathers and speak of those men as, as almost deities, I, I wish someone would just say, you know, this is a flawed document. Mm. They were flawed men. They included slavery. They didn't let women have the right to vote. Even white, only rich white men could vote. Yep. And so... Uh, and the fact that the, uh, that they have the electoral college, the the political racist compromise that that is, is why the the Trump's insurrection and their scheme about throwing it to Congress was even possible. If we didn't have this winner take all for each state and just counted each vote, every man, every woman, every citizen above eighteen, it would obliviate all of these issues that we've been dealing with for the past years since Trump appeared on the scene well, and, since Bush, and really. even inter- election interference would be that much harder. How could you, you know, you'd have to ring systems, you know, to swing millions of votes on one side or another. Yep. So uh, anyway, that's, that's it would that's, also make uh, elections national right now. Exactly. You know, 90 percent of all the election money is spent in about eight states. And uh, exactly. and if and if it was a national popular vote, uh, they would have people would have to campaign nationwide, which would change the nature of the campaigns and would exactly. I, I think you know encourage voter participation and engagement. So yeah, uh, excellent point. Exactly, exactly. All right, thank you for your yep. time and great show. Thank All you, Pat. Very Bye-bye. well said. Thank you and thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Todd in Aurora, Colorado. Hey, Todd, what's up? Hey, Tom. I just kind of wanted to add it to a couple couple points. One. Uh, what your last caller said too, I agree. Um, you know, when the I was really uh, taken back when Justice Thomas pressed the uh, Colorado plaintiff about you know the historical precedent 
And, you know, he said, well, there weren't, the ballots weren't really there or anything like that. The other thing that was, is really different from then is the Electoral College. Um, right. It functioned differently. If you read, you know, Federalist 68, Hamilton thought it was going to be a bunch of wise, you know. Wise elders. Uh, yeah. Elders. Right. <laughs> so that, you know, it, it, it doesn't function like it should. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other point I wanted to raise was was really concerning when they were trying to press the Trump attorney uh, a little bit was um, talking about how do you execute the uh, um, you know the third term you know being you know barred from uh, serving that and uh, you know who who would um, who would implement that who would make sure that that actually um, is abided by too yeah. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I think if we get Trump elected, he's going to try for you know a third term, and oh, he's no one to stop him. I, absolutely, I mean he's already said so on multiple occasions, and uh, yeah, I, I, I have uh, no hope that if Donald Trump is elected, we're going to have anything resembling a constitutional democratic republic going forward, uh, because because and I base it entirely on things that he himself has said. I mean, it was just, you know, he's, 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 he's bragged about it. You know, uh, Donald Trump 2024, Donald Trump 2028, Donald Trump 2032. I'm, you know, I'll be here, you know, quack, quack, quack. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Todd. And, and it's setting a horrible precedent and it's damaging our country. Todd, thank you for the call. And thanks for watching Free Speech TV. I'll be back with more of your calls in 60 seconds. Stay with us. We'll be right back. starts with you. You can be calling your Democratic or Republican representatives to let them know what you think by calling 202-224-3121. It's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you right through to them. So MAGA Mike and the Republicans want a religious test for people running for public office. They want to know that you are sufficiently Christian to be worthy of being elected. Right. MAGA Mike is one of these uh, seven mountain evangelicals. There are seven domains where these dominionists believe that we need to have religion completely take them over. Education, religion, family, business, government, military, arts and entertainment, and the media. Seriously. This is not what Jesus was preaching when he said, give unto Caesar what is Caesar and unto, unto God what is God's. This is the opposite, in fact, of what Jesus was teaching. It's the opposite of Matthew 25, where Jesus said, the only way to get to heaven is by feeding the hungry, healing the sick, helping the poor. It's, this is counter-Christian, anti-Christian, in fact. In fact, I think you could say it is the Antichrist's work. There's a piece about it over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. And welcome back. Picking up your calls here. 21 minutes past the hour. Jake in Seattle. Hey, Jake, what's up? Hey, Tom. I'm hoping you can help me out here. Um, you know, win the water cooler wars. I work with some Republicans, and I know when I talk to them about this, they're going to say, well, Donald Trump has, hasn't been convicted of insurrection. A jury hasn't found him guilty. And I'm curious, how can I respond, you know, when to the layman, that's what matters, a jury of our peers? The, well, a judge or jury. 
because in our legal system you have a choice, a judge or a jury. And what happened in Colorado, and, and Donald Trump was given an opportunity to come and make his defense. He was invited, and his lawyers actually did show up, but he never showed up. But in, in, in district court, in state district court in Colorado, uh, a judge ruled ultimately after hearing the evidence after hearing you know i mean they had people from the capitol police come in and present evidence they had donald trump's lawyers come in and say no it wasn't an insurrection they heard the evidence and this judge ruled yes he committed insurrection no he should not be removed from the ballot that then got appealed to the colorado supreme court and the colorado supreme court again looked at all of the evidence and all of the testimony and they said, yes, he did commit insurrection, and therefore he must be removed from the ballot. And that's why this is before the Supreme Court, because two different courts and, found Donald Trump guilty of insurrection. And I, I, I understand that, Tom, and, and you don't have to convince me. I was awake in uh, November and December of 2020, but I don't believe he was in those cases weren't were regarding his uh, eligibility on the ballot, not his is if he whether or not he committed insurrection. Am I misunderstanding that? I, yes, you I are, Jake. Say, the, the entire. How am I going to convince Republicans? Well, you know, I doubt you can. But um, the 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 <laughs> case that was before the district court, uh, Judge Henderson, as I recall, um, the case that was before the district court in Colorado specifically was, is Donald Trump disqualified from being on the ballot because he committed an insurrection? And with the question of whether or not he committed an insurrection, not the question of whether or not he's qualified to be on the ballot, but the question of whether or not he committed a, an insurrection was the predicating question of the entire case. If the, if the judge had ruled that he had not committed insurrection, it never would have gone to the Colorado Supreme Court, or it may have under appeal, but, but you know, it, it, it may have turned out quite differently. But the judge ruled, yes, he committed hey, insurrection. He's been found guilty of insurrection I'm, by two I'll courts. I'll try to get it through their six, six call. Yeah. I'll try to get this through a fix call at work. Appreciate you. Good luck with that, Jake. Thanks for the call. Gordon in Los Angeles. Hey, Gordon, what's up? Hey, Tom. Hey. Uh, love your show. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, this is in the area of uh, if Donald Trump is an officer, if, if he can be uh, titled an officer. Well, I've pulled up the text from the uh, from his immunity trial, his immunity case, right, and the decision. Uh, uh, and uh, I guess I, I don't know how to name it. This page twenty four, section twenty four, mm -hmm. uh, at the bottom of the first paragraph. It says, but as the Supreme Court has unequivocally explained, no man in this country is so high that he is above the law. Correct. No officer of the law may set may may set that law at defiance with impunity. All the officers of the government, from the highest to the lowest, are creatures of the law and are bound to obey it. Right, and Trump is arguing that he's not an officer and he never took the oath of an officer because he never served in Congress or the military. Well, this is saying that the president, but, uh, uh, but I'm pretty sure that there's other texts in here, because I heard, I heard it, where they referred to Trump, Donald Trump, as an officer. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I, in my mind, there's no doubt that the president is an officer of the, of the, of the government. I mean, the right. presidency so is an office that, of the government. <laughs> that, that, that is mentioned 20 times in the Constitution. So, you know, there's... But, but, uh, go ahead. But wouldn't that... Uh, why doesn't that... Um, 
you know, dispel the the this argument that you know uh, he he is not an officer. Well, the the uh, argument that they're making, uh, Gordon, applies to the Fourteenth Amendment. Yeah, the the argument that they're making is that because the president's oath is slightly different from the oath that you take as a member of Congress or as a police officer or when you join the military, and it says support the Constitution rather than defend the Constitution, or maybe it's the other way around, but it's slightly different. The wording is slightly different. What they're saying is that, therefore, the president, A, the president's not an officer, and B, any other previous president in the history of the United States could still be impeached, uh, or could still be kept off the ballot, rather, because they were all officers, because all of them, every other president except Donald Trump, either served in the military or served in Congress, or both, before they became president. And so they all took that oath, that oath of the officer of the United States. Trump, who got out of the military because of his so-called bone spurs, and who never ran for public office, and so never took an oath of office, is claiming that you know the president's oath is slightly different, and therefore he's not an officer and he's immune. And you know, as weird as it sounds, that argument may end up prevailing before the Supreme Court. Gordon, I got to run, but thanks for the call. We'll continue the conversation right after this break. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. It's the place where we dare to ask, is Donald Trump an insurrectionist? And we dare to say, yeah, are you kidding me? We'll be right This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is called Let the People Pick the President, The Case for Abolishing the Electoral College by Jesse Wegman. And I'm reading from the introduction. This is uh, page 20. Uh, But what exactly can we do about the Electoral College? People have been trying to answer that question for more than two centuries. Since the first proposed amendment to the Electoral College was introduced in Congress in 1797, there have been more than 700 attempts to reform or abolish it, more by far than any other provision of the Constitution. Only one has succeeded, the 12th Amendment, which was ratified in 1804 to fix a technical flaw in the college's design, but left it otherwise intact. In the late 1960s, an amendment abolishing the college and replacing it with a national popular vote passed the House of Representatives and came extraordinarily close in the Senate, but was blocked by a filibuster. At the time, 80% of the American public supported switching to the popular vote, as did President Richard Nixon and other top Republicans and Democrats. To sum this litany of failure speaks to itself. I think it's a waste of time to talk about changing the Electoral College, former President Jimmy Carter said in 2000. Carter had supported a national popular vote in the 60s and the 70s. I would predict that 200 years from now we'll still have the Electoral College, he said. Was President Carter right? Is it simply our fate as Americans to remain trapped by the historical quirks of a Constitution that is too easy to revere and too hard to change? Especially after the failed effort in the 60s when American politics were far less polarized to today and there was no simple partisan divide over the issue. It's clear that a constitutional amendment is not in the cards. But there may be another way. It's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, an agreement among states to award all of their electors to the winner of the national popular vote rather than the winner of their statewide vote. The compact will take effect when it is joined by states representing a majority of electoral votes, 270, thus guaranteeing that the candidate who wins the most votes in the country becomes president. 
The ingenuity of the compact is that it doesn't touch the Constitution. Its target is the statewide winner-take-all rule, currently in use in 48 states. Maine and Nebraska are the exceptions. This rule is what makes presidents out of popular vote losers. It incentivizes presidential campaigns to ignore more than 100 million American voters living in non-competitive states, turning what should be a national electoral contest into a series of bitter hyperlocal brawls. It focuses nearly all campaign spending and policy proposals on a few so-called battleground states, where even a small shift in voting can lead to an electoral jackpot for one side or another. That familiar red and blue map we all obsess over every four years, it's nothing but a visual representation of state winner-take-all rules, with each state stamped Democratic or Republican as though that is its true identity, regardless of how many voters from the other party cast a ballot there. This is bad for democracy, and it should concern all Americans, no matter where they live or which political party they support. In contrast, when candidates know that all votes are equal and they need a majority of them to win, they're forced to seek the support of all Americans and craft policies that appeal to as many people as possible. The Popular Vote Compact was launched in 2006 and got its first member state, Maryland, the following year. As of October 2019, 15 states in the District of Columbia, together representing 196 electoral votes, had joined. 74 more, and the compact takes effect. So far, only Democratic-majority states have joined the compact. And while the 2016 election dealt a significant setback to efforts to enlist Republican-led states, lawmakers of both parties around the country continue to support it, and Republican-led chambers have passed it in four states. Critics of the compact call it an end run around the Constitution. And it's true that the Constitution's framers never mentioned something like a popular vote compact. They also never mentioned the winner-take-all rule, but that didn't stop the majority of states from rapidly adopting it to benefit themselves. That's the whole point of the compact. The framers gave states near-total control over how to allocate their electors. The fact that the compact is an agreement among states also means that, unlike a constitutional amendment, which is effectively permanent, member states may back out if they later decide they don't want to be a part of it. Opponents of the popular vote argue that no matter how you might achieve it, it's not the way our country is built. As the popular saying goes, we're a republic, not a democracy. The Electoral College is one of the core Republican elements of the framers' constitutional design, like the Senate and the Supreme Court, which are there precisely to prevent majorities from running rampant. In other words, majority rule is not our only organizing principle and perhaps not even our most important. There are two problems, however, with this argument. The minor one is on the surface and involves terminology. The United States is both a republic and a representative democracy. The two terms describe the same thing a government in which the people hold the ultimate power but elect representatives to make laws, policies, and other decisions on their behalf. The founders used the term republic to distinguish what they were building from a monarchy. For them, democracy generally referred to the direct variety as in ancient Athens or the New England town meeting, where the people literally make the laws themselves. But American politics at the national level has never been and never will be a direct democracy. So any distinction between the terms today is meaningless. As one political columnist put it, to say that the U.S. is a republic and not a democracy is like claiming to eat beef and pork, but not cows and pigs. The bigger problem with the saying is the implication that lies beneath it. The book, Let the People Pick the President, by Jesse Wegman.
from international trade policy to immigration policy to housing. We've got all kinds of topics. The wars between Republicans and Democrats, the Republican efforts to induce fascism in the United States. A great selection of opinions will be found over at HartmanReport.com. From Los Angeles to Columbia, South Carolina, from Birmingham, Alabama to Baltimore, universal basic income programs are chalking up proof after proof of their viability. Basically, just giving people, low-income people, poor people, somewhere between $500 and $1,500 a month, no strings attached, is lifting people out of poverty, getting them back on track, getting them into solid middle-class jobs, helping their children tremendously. This works. Now, we don't have to do UBI in the United States. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a national health care program. Health expenses are whacking a lot of low-income people. We're the only country, developed country in the world that doesn't have free college education. Education expenses are whacking people. There's a lot we could do. We can subsidize housing. We can subsidize food. We do that with food stamps. We could expand it. There's a lot we could do to, to, to benefit from this. There's a whole report about that over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Thirty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back. Picking up your calls here, Craig in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hey, Craig, what's on your mind today? Oh yeah, I, I didn't catch the court uh, this morning, so this is a little bit off um, the review of what was going on. But uh, J. Michael Littig, um and I, I'm not sure about Lawrence Tribe on this. Both of those guys seem to be on the same page. Points out that the violation. Um, that is uh, important to understand is that the executive vestiture clause requires the president of the United States to step down from power peacefully as part of the duties of the president of the United States. And the violation of that clause is, by definition, an insurrection. Hmm. This is the insurrection that Trump should be held accountable for. It's clear cut. He worked hard against um, all evidence that it was a free and fair election, right. and he violated his executive vestiture clause. Interesting. I'm unfamiliar with that, Craig. Um, but thanks for the for the tip on it. I, I can't speak to it because I'm not. You know, I don't know anything about it. I'll have to look it up. Is that a clause yeah, in the it's Constitution? A, it's a YouTube video. I was doom scrolling this, and it's in the Constitution. And yeah. I, I should have got some research, but I just got home, got something. I got to go get the board from school. Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to look up. No, it's all good. On it, but it's all good. YouTube, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll look it up myself. Craig, thank you. Thanks for the tip on that. I appreciate it. Rudy in Atlanta. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I want to quickly say this. Um, you and Joe Madison are probably the two most decent men that um, I know, um, and you, I, I just want to tell you thank you. Well, I thank want to you. thank you for all the knowledge and wisdom you guys spread. Um, that being, being said, uh, Tom, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I, I never thought that I'll be hearing what I'm hearing. I, I, I've never thought that I hear white men twist themselves up in pretzels over a position that's probably, in my mind, supposed to be one of the most dignified positions on earth. This guy is clearly, Tom, this is hard. This is hard to hear people twist themselves like this over some guy, over a guy like Donald Trump. Mm. This is hard. Yeah. And, 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 and I, I want to say this. 
And and like I told Jefferson when I last spoke to him, uh, we're at a point right now where white men are going to have to come to terms with where they are and, and, and where they want to be going forward in this country. Um, they know, most white men know that this guy is a turd. Now, whether they speak up and, 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 and stomp this out, uh, you know, it's beyond me. But now is not now is the time for good white men to step up. Come to the aid of their country. That's what I want to see, Tom. Yeah, I'm with you, Rudy. Where, I think, where else are you going to go? Yeah, I think I think what's going on with the Supreme Court and and all of the uh, the, the, the contortionism that, that we heard this morning, to to use your metaphor. Um, is that they're they're terrified? I think that they are genuinely frightened. I mean, these these people don't live in in you know giant you know thirty room mansions with you know, Praetorian guard like Elon Musk does, you know, or or uh, Jeff Bezos does. They they are not invulnerable. Um, they do have security, but they are not invulnerable. And I I think frankly they are terrified that if they keep Trump off the ballot, that that somebody's going to come and burn their house down or kill their kids. Well, I mean, Tom, the way the way I see it as a black man, either way it go, you're going to have to carry the water. Yep. Yeah. There, 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 there is no there is no sweet answer to this. Yeah. You're going yeah. to have to face you're going to have to face some things and go with it. But this clearly right here isn't going to end well, especially if you deal with Trump. Trump. Yeah. It, it, it's you just you can't outrun a lot, Tom. You can't outrun it. Yep. Period. Yep. I agree with you, Rudy. I agree with you. Thank you, and and thanks for your kind words. It's uh, you know being in the same class with Joe Madison is uh, a great All honor. Right, man, you deserve every day of it, Tom. Love you, man. Take care. Thank you, Rudy. Nice to hear from you. Thank you so much, Paul in Zilla, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Well, hi, Tom, and thanks to all you at uh, the program for putting on this interesting conversation. Sure. Uh, my comment is this question of the office of the president. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that uh, Donald Trump is a liar, but this is what he said. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States, and that's all capitalized, and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Correct. He accepted he was taking office. Yep. Can't you throw that whole... Um, but does that make him an officer? Window? That's that's the that's it, that's the uh, you know how many angels fit on the head of a pin question that was being debated this morning. Well, since every other government uh, employee practically takes one that says he's also going to take office, yes, that makes you an officer. Yeah, I don't I, know if enlisted men have to take that oath, but I know that anybody uh, once they become an officer in the military has to solemnly swear that they will defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. They do. It's I'd a like slightly different oath, though, than the president's oath. And it is. And it is. And this and is. I, I'm not. I'm not sure that that's a good idea. That it's a different oath because I yeah. think the first one that everybody takes is more comprehensive. Well, I think what's, anyway, what's insane is that we're saying, because there's two different oaths that both say you're either going to protect or you're going to defend the Constitution, that they mean different things. I think that's a complete BS argument. Um, but it's, yep. you know, these guys are, are getting, you know, what was the earlier caller in the first hour? He said it's Jesuitical. You know, they're, they're, they're like, you know, 
uh, the St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, sitting, you know, debating the, the, the subtle nuances of angels. Um, it, it's, uh, they're just desperately trying to find a way to not piss off Donald Trump's followers, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, and, and, and I think you are very right about that. I think that uh, people do become afraid of these fascists who have large numbers of people. And that's how fascists who win, are their by the way. Acolytes. That's how fascists yeah. win. I mean, when Mussolini marched on Rome in 1922, I think it was, with his 20,000 uh, black shirts, and these were this was the equivalent of the Proud Boys. This was a, a 100% volunteer militia, right? When he marched on Rome, the king just like freaked out and said, "Okay, all right, all right, you're you're in charge. Okay, don't kill me." And I mean, yeah. you know, this is how fascists win. You know, and then Hitler, when he took power, what did he do? The Night of the Long Knives. He killed the people on his side who weren't quite loyal enough. As, as you know, Donald Trump hasn't killed people who weren't quite loyal enough, but he's certainly gotten rid of a lot of them, um, you know, politically. And now he's talking about wanting to kill him. He said he wants to put Mattis in front of a firing squad. Um, and if he becomes president, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he actually did that. So, Paul, I got to move along, but I, I, I agree with you. I think the entire argument is nuts. Rob in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, Rob, what's on your mind today? I agree with that argument being nuts because uh, if he wasn't an officer, then why does everyone salute him? Yeah, there's a good, good, good question too. You know, otherwise, they what the hell does like officer the mean? I guess is the question. Yeah. Hey, um, the one thing I wanted to say about the Supreme Court ruling is if they uh, basically um, uh, allow the states to go ahead and kick them off the ballot, I mean, there there is a remedy in that whole. Uh, 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 movement that says basically that the Congress can override it by two thirds. So let's say you know Colorado says that's he, correct. He's not qualified to be on it. They can just have a two thirds vote. It's in Congress's hand again to do that. that. That's because correct. Otherwise, you know, and the only other problem I have with it is if they do allow it, you you don't want the red state saying, "Oh, we're going to look for this guy to see if he has a traffic violation." Uh, and then uh, well, that's different from insurrection. Able to run. You know, no, I, I got you there, but you know. And that would you know, obviously be challenged as uh, uh, it, it, I just don't want to open a, a can of worms. But I think there's a, just no clean way out of this, because no matter what you do, that Trump crowd, the MAGA crowd is not going to take, you know, anything but him being president as an answer. Yeah. So I know, you know, and so and, even if they um, <laughs> allow it, uh, it's not going to work. So let's say right. they they disallow it and he, you know, runs for election. Even if he loses by a landslide, they're still not going to believe it. Yeah. I mean, there's just no clean way out of it. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And and they want their dictator. I mean, you know, it's just they, exactly. they want Big Daddy. They want the guy who's going to tell them, everything's going to be good. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Just give me everything, everything, everything. Rob, and I got to run. justify the means. Too. There you go. Yep. Thank you for the call. We'll be right back. It's uh, just a couple seconds. It'll be 45 minutes past the hour. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the place where smart people get their news. I'll be right back with more of your calls right after this. And welcome back. Harry in Fort Myers, Florida. Hey, Harry, what's on your mind today? Hey, good. Nice talking to you, Tom. First time caller, um, long time well, listener. Thank you. What's and, up? Uh, well, I think I, my opinion is I think that the Supreme Court is adjudicating the whole the, the wrong issue. Hmm. Um, keeping him off the ballot is not the issue per se, because theoretically he could be a write-in at some point in time. 
What they should be debating is whether the Supreme Court decision in Colorado that found him guilty of insurrection should be adjudicated. Therefore, if the Supreme Court found that he did, in fact, commit insurrection, he could be banned from holding office. Well, they did. I mean, that was that was the conclusion of the Supreme Court in Colorado. In Colorado, but that's what needs to be appealed and ultimately decided by the Supreme Court, not the ballot question. Because treason. Do you mean treason? I mean, literally treason, or are you t- are you using that word as a stand-in for insurrection? No. I misspoke. I meant insurrection. Okay. Okay. Because because treason has a a somewhat different <laughs> meaning. Um, right. Yeah. I, uh, and, and, and they, also aiding about it. Right. They whatever. completely avoided that this morning. I mean, there was like in the last 20 minutes or so, there was about three or four sentences that had to do with whether he was guilty of insurrection. And, you know, the Colorado uh, 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 wasn't the attorney general. It was the uh, solicitor general um, said that, you know, we we found him guilty of insurrection. And they just kind of said, OK, let's move along. Uh, it's like they don't want to talk about that. They You know, they 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 wanted to find. And it seemed like everybody was in on this, or at least among the liberals, uh, Elena Kagan was certainly in on it. They wanted to find some excuse to leave Trump on the ballot. And uh, like I said, I think it's because they're afraid their houses will get burned down. But, you know, who knows? Harry, I got to move along. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Good to hear from you. David in New York City. Hey, David, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, my first time calling, too. I've been listening well, to uh, the old White Rose Oh, wow. Uh, podcast. That's a long time. <laughs> long time. Um, anyway, I just kind of want to uh, bring to your attention. So uh, when it co- I, I watched the, the initial trial where the, where the 14th Amendment um, professor basically testified on the stand to um, the judge in Colorado. And he went through a, a whole bunch of evidence. Really, it was really fascinating to watch the, the whole, you know, six-hour testimony from him. But uh, one of the things that he brought up was that, that the term chief executive officer is something that's been around for a very long time. It actually makes its first appearance in 1782. Really? And, wow, yes, so I'm completely so in wrong 17, on that. In seven, huh. in seven, yeah, so in 1782, uh, basically it was um, and when an ordinance of the Congress of the Confederation of the United States of America used the term to refer to governors and other leaders of executive branches of each of the 13 colonies. Right. In addition to that, this professor went through many, many other examples of you know presidents in their correspondences with foreign leaders, so right. and such and such, oh, you know, as the chief executive officer of the United States of America, I'm presenting this right. to you, I'm writing this. Um, Fascinating. And then also in court opinions all the way through, um, you know, the 1700s, 1800s, and, and also during this period of Reconstruction. Right. That was kind of, and so he basically was bringing it up that, that this was what was the, the common parlance for that. It wasn't until the 1900s, 1974, I think, to be precise, that it was actually used as a business term and as an acronym for CEO. That's fascinating. I, you know, I, I learn things from my, my listeners and my callers all the time. David, thank you for educating me. Um, uh, no problem. I appreciate it. It's step by step, right? We'll be back. It's twenty. It's forty nine minutes past the hour.
help support progressive radio. If you're listening to us on a commercial station, call their advertisers and let them know you're listening. If you're listening to us on Pacifica or one of our many nonprofit stations, please support them when they do their fundraising drives. Thanks for supporting progressive talk radio and tag your it. When I was a little kid, my grandmother had a piano and I loved to play it. I, 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 I was incompetent, <laughs> but, but I was figuring out all kinds of stuff. And then I kind of got away from it and, you know, went to school and things got busy and just lost track of it. Well, now there's this fascinating new study out of the University of, of Geneva, Switzerland, that is making me think maybe I should go back and learn the piano. Uh, it, what they found was that they, they, they took a group of 132 healthy uh, older adults, uh, retired, 62 to 78 years old. Half of them learned the piano. Half of them took music classes uh, without learning the piano. And what they found was that those who learned the piano actually had uh, the, the strongest increase in their memory, in their, in, their, in their mental competence, their mental faculties. Those who took the music classes also, also did well, but the, learning the piano was a huge step. So uh, check it out. There's a whole long rant about this over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. I am right back. It's, it's, oh my. Uh, James in Spokane. Hey, James, what's on your mind today? Hi, y'all. Um, i got to repeat again, you know, justice delayed is justice denied, Tom, and all these things. Um Justice Roberts, somebody should be reading this stuff for them and reminding them what they're saying and how they say it when it's unprepared text. Is he kidding? Talking about not setting, not wanting to set a precedent and affecting the electoral landscape across the country. Right. That's what law is about. Yeah. That's what law is. That's what you put in code and statute is precedent, and you affirm it by putting it into law. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. So, I mean, somebody should read this for him and tell him what he said. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's very open. I agree. And, and, and I, I, I think that there are, you know, at the very least, Alito and Thomas, um, perhaps Roberts, uh, but certainly Alito and Thomas, very much want Donald Trump back as president, in my opinion. Uh, they, they want that strong man, that authoritarian. Um, they're, they would be very comfortable with a fascist form of government. Uh, the oh, others, the rest of them, I think they're just terrified. But again, this is purely speculation on my part. James, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Dan in Chicago. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind today? I just had a question. Uh, did you ever figure out who put those gals up on the six? To the best of my knowledge, no, which is shocking, right? I mean, it's like yeah. everybody was filming that. The Capitol has its own security cameras. They, they, they have to know who did that. You'd think so. And what agency is supposed to investigate that? The FBI. It's a it's federal property, so it'd be the federal the, and, the, and the preeminent federal police force is the FBI. I mean, arguably the Capitol Police, but um, I would the Secret Service. Yeah, or this. Uh, well, no, the Secret Service pro- protects the president. They don't protect members oh, of Congress. Okay, thanks. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Good, good to hear from you, Pat. I, I think they don't protect members of Congress. I might be wrong on that. Pat in Waterloo, Iowa. Hey, Pat, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Mr. Hartman, thanks for your great program. And I just wanted to bring up something I read today uh, on a CNN uh, site uh, from uh, Tristan Snell, who's a lawyer, uh, one of the lead lawyers in the Trump University investigation. And he uh, says in his opinion that Congress has already found two things as a result of the second impeachment uh, for Trump's incitement of insurrection. But he was not convicted. One that, 
yeah, but number one was that January 6, 2021 was an insurrection, and number two, that Trump not only engaged in, but incited it. Now, uh, the Constitution uh, governs how that conviction occurs, but it's notable that on bipartisan votes from the people that, or from the uh, uh, persons that were put in both the House and the Senate, that by majority votes of 232 to 203, the House voted that he was guilty of both of those. And then even though the Senate didn't meet the 67 threshold, they still voted by majority 57 to 43 that he engaged in and that January 6th was an insurrection. So people that think that you got to uh, have an impeachment with those rules in place need to keep in mind that the majority of our representatives voted that he did engage in that and that the six wasn't insurrection. Yeah. Uh, you know, if he had been, if the, if the senators had had, if a handful of Republican senators had had the courage of their convictions and, and kept with what they were saying immediately after January 6th, I'm thinking Mitch McConnell in particular here, um, history would be quite different. Donald Trump would not have, if, had he been convicted, he would not have been able to run for re-election. I mean, that's another one of those qualifications, right, where, where you're disqualified. Right. So, yeah, I, I get your yeah. point, Pat. I, I do think that the failure of a conviction in the Senate is the, is the fatal flaw in that logic, but, uh, or at least from the Supreme Court's point of view. Uh, but I'm not disagreeing with it. Pat, thank you for the call. Patsy in Yakima, Washington. Hey, Patsy, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Quick question. Doesn't Commander-in-Chief make him technically an officer? You would think. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> where you're, you're in charge of everybody. Hello. Right, right. Well, at least he's commander-in-chief of the military is what it says in the Constitution. So, yeah. I, I, you but know, he this, has that title. Right, I know. This whole argument that he's not an officer is just bizarre. I, you know, again, I, I, I think that what's, what's going on here is they're, they're grasping at straws, the, the, these uh, Supreme Court justices. Um, I, and I think it's, it's sad, frankly. Patsy, thank you. Uh, Stuart in Everett, Washington. Hey, Stuart, you got a quick one? I got about 20, 25 seconds here. Yeah, Tom, one of the justices asked a question if uh, releasing money to a foreign government was aiding the enemy. And I think that's a direct implementation that Biden should be impeached for doing that. Oh, geez. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> All right. Well, I, yeah, no, I, I heard Trump's rant this morning about Iran. I got it. Stuart, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Thanks for being with us today. Fascinating day, right? A fascinating day. We'll continue the conversation tomorrow. It's Anything Goes Friday. Do we have any guests tomorrow, Sean? Oh, Congressman Connor will be with us for the first hour of the program. So, uh, you know, uh, we'll see you then tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon, and we'll catch up with you on the other side. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
Our local newspapers are being merged, purged, shrunk, shut down, and looted by Wall Street profiteers. Yet, there's good news. In the towns those media vultures are torching, a phoenix is rising. Hundreds of determined locals, often led by people of color, are finding new ways to pay for and revive top-quality local journalism. For example, the Ferndale Enterprise moved to an old Victorian home, renting upstairs rooms to vacationers to subsidize the paper. Also, while aloof Wall Street owners have no connection to us or our towns, the scrappy new community papers are stressing their grassroots connection by moving into friendlier, more central, street-level spaces such as public libraries and community centers so that regular people can see them and have direct access to their reporters and editors. Then there's the editor of the Sahan Journal in Minneapolis, who moves his weekly editorial meeting to the offices of various grassroots groups so their members can help shape the paper's coverage. And in Marfa, Texas, the Big Ben Sentinel is literally serving the public, not only with a good weekly, but also with the Sentinel, a combo coffee shop, cozy bar, cafe, event space, and hangout for locals to meet and greet. In ways big and small, dedicated local journalists are experimenting with funding, structure, staffing, etc. to produce the news that democracy requires. Note to Wall Street vultures, these newspaper ventures aren't interested in scaling up to maximize investor profits. As they know, it was corporate cost-cutting, consolidation, and scaling that got us into today's mess of journalistic collapse. And, unlike the Wall Street model, their success is not measured simply by financial return, but also by how they do at keeping citizens